Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I am having one of those great days because I get to be with you right now. So this is uh, always part of my day that I, I, regardless of what kind of day I've, I've been having, I always think to myself, I get to be with my listeners for a couple hours. That's always very exciting. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and does not fear when the heat comes. And right now, living in Minnesota, I'd like the heat. I'd like for the heat to come. But its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. I've got a great show today. I'm going to start uh, with a brand new guest I've never met before. Uh, Ines Franklin's uh, joining me today, and she's written a book called Uncharted: Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. Don't we all have a unique journey of faith? And it's uh, beautiful at times, and at other times, it's frightening. And we are grateful that our Creator knows us and knows our story better than we do. Enos, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I hope I'm saying your name right, am I? Yes, Enos. Enos. Okay. Well, (laughs) I'm very curious about your story. You you talked about, in your book, you, you right off the bat talk about your grandma. Yes, my abuelita. <laughs> yeah, uh, abuelita, is that her name? Abuelita is uh, the Spanish word for grandmother. Okay, cool. See, I didn't even know that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm teaching you some Spanish I today. <laughs> have so much to learn from you. Um, isn't that very sweet, though, that there's so many grandmas who are so important in our, our faith journey? Yes. Can you share more, more about how uh, her faith and influence kind of brought you to where you are today? Yes, yes. Um, my mother raised seven children on her own. I'm number six of seven children. And uh, she had her hands full, as you could imagine, oh, yeah. raising us and doing all the work. But on top of that, she had um, some difficult experiences with the church. She felt that people in the church were not honest, that they were hypocrites, and so she didn't want to go to church. But my abuelita was a very devout a Catholic involved in her church, reading the Bible and all that. And so she was not going to have that. So she took us to church uh, as much as she could. In fact, she um, was the one who took us and put us in the classes to learn about the faith and all of that. So she started me off with an understanding of the importance of the Bible and all of that. I didn't listen to her very well. I had a whole experience, which I share in my book, that kind of took me in a different direction. But uh, he, she did lay the ground, and then she prayed for me for 40 years that the wow. Lord would, would get a hold of my heart, and he did. I, when I was 40 is when I finally gave my life to Jesus, and he has transformed my life since then. But I really believe it was the prayers of my abuelita and her, her foundation that she laid way back when, when I was a little girl, uh, that took me where I am today. Mm-hmm. And is your grandmother going to be with the Lord? Yes, she lived to be 99 years and oh, 11 beautiful. months. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. So she had a big party when she was 99, and she said, you know what, that was really fun. I don't want to have a 100th birthday party. <laughs> and she died a month away from being 100. Yeah, because if she was still around, I'd want to get uh, my name on her prayer list. 
Oh, come on, right? Oh, Think about totally. that. 40 yeah, yeah. years of faithfulness of that That's prayer. She wrote me beautiful. countless letters telling me that she, and I really saw it. Her Bible was marked up, um, tagged, and all kinds of things. She was a faithful prayer yeah. warrior. All right, uh, Ines, before we even go any further, would you just speak to the grandmothers that are listening right now and encourage them? Yes. Or in, in, yes, for sure for the grandmothers, because what an influence we have over our grandchildren. That is such a unique place to set for them a foundation of faith. Uh, I, now I'm a grandmother, so now I see it as well, the incredible privilege and the voice that we have for them. Uh, that's so important. And secondly, the, the importance of our prayers for them, for them to know that we're praying for our children. I was so covered by knowing my grandmother was praying for me. And while I didn't always answer her letters, and I, I, for a while I frustrated her greatly, 40 years of it, she never stopped praying. And that faithfulness just really called me to greater faithfulness. So Abuelitas, I'm calling you Abuelitas. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, yeah, lean in. And, and for that matter, any of us who are praying for someone who we um, know that is not walking with the Lord, that we wouldn't give up praying for them. No matter, you know, sometimes we feel like, man, I've prayed for that person. I've tried sharing the message, and they're just, they're cold. They're not willing to hear. Uh, I would say keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. I have my list of people that I'm praying for, that I have been praying for for a long time, and I was inspired by Abuelita to do that. Mm-hmm. Ines Franklin is my guest. Her book is called Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. You know, I would say for myself, I, I love certainty and con- control to a certain degree, like all of us, right? But yes. if we do that, um, you say that it can be damaging as we try to walk with Jesus if we're just these people that are craving certainty and control. True, because everything that we try to control, I mean, there are some things we have control over, obviously. Uh, obviously, we have control to some level to over ourselves. We have control over certain things around us. But oftentimes, we we realize that we're not really as in as much control as we wish we were. I think COVID made it really clear. It was like a worldwide, hey, we're not as in control as we thought we mm-hmm. were. And what happens is we quickly learn that the things we think are giving us certainty or the things that make us feel are in control are actually fleeting, and they're actually not faithful. They're not going to be standing there when we really need them to stand there for us. And so I believe that when we lean into our tendency for control or our craving for certainty, it's no different. And in my, my book, I talk about the idea of when you're feeling hungry and going straight to sugar. Yes, that might satisfy your craving for a bit, but it's not really nourishing you. Mm-hmm. And within a short time, you're hungry again for something that's really not good for your body, not good for your brain. And so instead, I call for us to seek after the fiber and the protein and the nutritious things that God has for us, which are more lasting, are truly reliable. He is the only one that can give us the certainty we seek. And ultimately, he's sovereign. He's over all things. He's actually the one in control. And if we go with him, there's a chance that we're going to feel more grounded, more peaceful, less stress, because he is taking us with him. Mm -hmm. You do talk about spiritual practices in your book, Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. And you say that um, uh, these, these practices 
un- help unwind the need for certainties mm-hmm. in our life. And you've put some of these practices into uh, into your own life. Maybe you would give us a yes. taste of that, what that looks like. Absolutely, yeah. And it's so important that we understand that these practices that I put in my book are in no way uh, shared as a way to earn our way to God or earn our favor with God or earn His love. That is given to us unconditionally through Jesus on the cross. What these practices do, however, is they redirect our cravings. They redirect us away from our idols that we create or that uh, the world offers us. And we open up ourselves for God to work in our hearts and and clean house or give us the encouragement we need or the nourishment we need. So in in my book, I have a number of spiritual practices, each one of them connected to the actual chapter material. So, for example, on the craving for certainty chapter, which is all about this idea of wanting to have control, I write about meditation and the act of serving others. So instead of wanting to have control over things, we can serve others, because one of the places we do tend to control is people. We, we think we can control our children or our spouse or our boss or our workers, uh, but the reality is we are probably more at peace if we were serving others. Uh, the same thing with meditation. It's a way to think about our lives and process how God is working in our lives rather than us trying to seek certainty from the things of this world. So every chapter has spiritual practices, and these are things that we've done in our faith journey, such as prayer, worship, gratitude, um, simplicity, practicing the presence of God, Holy Communion, etc. So a lot of them are going to be familiar, and there's a few that perhaps might be new to people, but there are hundreds of practices that we can do, again, not to earn, not to become more religious, but simply to put our hearts in a posture, receive more of God. Mm -hmm. When you had mentioned meditation, I always like to hear a little bit more about what that word means coming from you, because when I think of meditation, I'm going to saturate in the Word of God. I'm going to marinate in it. I'm going to take maybe a book of the Bible and spend three months reading it, you know, 30 times in three months. And that to me is meditation. What do, you, what do you mean by that? I love that. but And I totally agree. I, I do believe that meditation, in, in this case, we're not talking meditation in the sense of like, oh, I'm going to connect to the universe. We're going <laughs> to connect to the one who created the universe. And the place that he gives us to do that is the scripture. So I talk about medication, uh, meditation in the way that Jesus, you know, we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so we, we meditate in by thinking of things of God, but also Another way to meditate on things of Jesus is by serving and loving others the way that he did. Mm-hmm. When we actually go out and we care for people in the way that he did, we care for the widow and the poor and the orphan and the marginalized, we're actually now thinking the way that God thinks, acting as he did, being like he did. So that's setting our minds in connection with the way of God and the way that he is. So being in Scripture, but then acting out what we learn from Scripture. And uh, Ines, when you talk about acting out and serving others, I-, I think it's worth always letting listeners know that it's never a burden. It might mm, at times yeah. be inconvenient, but it's never yeah. a burden because you think you're going to be serving others, and you are, but in reality, you're getting most of the time more than you're, than you're giving. Absolutely. In fact, in that chapter of my book, I share a story of traveling to Peru to deliver wheelchairs. Uh, we, were, we were with an organization that does this called Free Wheelchair Mission. And we went into a man's house, Alberto, who 
was living in bed for years and years and years. And there we were going to serve him and his needs. But the minute we walked into his place, he started worshiping. Mm. And it was so beautiful. Our entire group was like shook. They were crying. Some of them had to walk outside because they just felt like this man's faith and his joy was so huge and so contagious. And yet there he was in his bed. It was soiled because he obviously couldn't get up. Mm. Um, His condition of living was very, very simple and poor. But the joy that he had in his heart was beyond, beyond what we experienced ourselves. And so we realized he served us. When we came to give him a wheelchair, he served us with a picture of what does it look like to be in the joy of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Where are you from uh, originally? Are you born and raised in the U.S.? Puerto Rico. Yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah. You can, did you hear my accent? <laughs> well, I definitely hear your accent, but I'd love to hear you say your name with full Puerto Rican Okay, power. well, see, well, you need to know this. The Spanish names have, uh, we have lots of last names, because in, in Puerto Rico, we carry the last names of our fathers and our mother, our father and our mother, so we have our entire legacy in our name. So are you ready for it? Yeah, here we go. Inés Socorro Rivera Parilla, Parilla Salas Morales, de Franklin. I want to put I want to put music to that. I want I want that to be a song. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's right. long, isn't it? It's you can't been... put that on an ID card. <laughs> yeah, you need like five business cards and tape them all together. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back uh, with our guest. She's written a book called Uncharted: Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I'm back with Inis Franklin. She's written a book called Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. And this book provides healing and hope for those still finding their way or doubting their path. Her careful analysis and scholarly approach to the Bible will encourage you to discover the truth, the very foundation of the Christian faith. It lies an invitation to have a surrender. Let's, let's all surrender to the Lord. For the person uh, that's feeling maybe that their doubt is too severe or maybe their sin is too great for them to embrace this message, what encouragement would you give them? Well, uh, in the book, I shared my personal testimony, which is a picture of God's incredible grace. The beauty of um, what Jesus did on the cross is that there is no sin for which grace was not willing to die for, you know. So Jesus came to to pay for everything. And and it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that because there's no one in this world that is that generous to give so much for especially people who are doing what's wrong. But in my own life, I've seen how God has um, done that, not only in my life, but in the life of others. And so I share my testimony in the book. I share my own journey. I told you I did not become a believer until I was 40. And all along the way, on the way there, I did a great deal of sin. And the Lord 
um, went to the cross for that. And so if anyone feels like, oh, I've messed up too much, there's no way God, Jesus would love me or that God would use me, I just want to remind you, I hope this book will encourage you that Jesus loves you dearly and that his grace is for you Mm -hmm. and his kindness is never ending. When I was in chapter 12 of your book, that got my attention because it's entitled The Journey is Mysterious, What to Do with Suffering. And you start yeah. that by, you start that chapter by saying we don't have to search for suffering. <laughs> so right. true. It just comes, doesn't it? Oh, is it ever. It just comes. What it comes. We, what do we do with suffering? Well, I used the chapter one of James as a framework for how to deal with the reality of suffering in our lives. I mean, really, what, what does Scripture call us to do with suffering? Our, our tendency is to want to run from suffering, and, well, it's not unwise to do so, right? There's no reason for us to walk ourselves into suffering. But also sometimes when, when we're not prepared for what to do with suffering from a biblical perspective, then we're going to respond to suffering in ways that are harmful to ourselves and to others. But rather, there is a way, if we respond through the scriptures, that we can actually not only endure suffering, but become a source of hope and blessing to others. So uh, James calls us for a thriving faith, and the first thing he calls us to is to have a joyful attitude no matter what happens. And, and, you know, it can be really hard to have a joyful attitude when we're in the middle of suffering. And so the very next thing he tells us to ask God for wisdom and because God gives our gives wisdom to us generously, because that is what we need. When we're in deep suffering, when we're feeling overwhelmed by a problem, an illness, a situation, we need God's heavenly perspective mm. to look at our situation, not from our view, because we're clearly buried under whatever it is that's hurting us, but from His perspective. And out of that perspective, uh, God can give us the ability to thrive even in the most difficult part of suffering. Uh, You can actually come through suffering in such a way with a deeper trusting heart in God, a deeper strength, a deeper commitment to Him, and become really a source of comfort to others. As uh, Corinthians tells us, that God comforts us, and then we can then comfort others in their suffering. We can come out of it with wisdom that we can share with others. We can come out of it with... um, advice or even just our story and we can come out of it with a testimony of how God met us there. So nothing's wasted. Nothing's wasted with God. Um, No question. There's a great mystery as to why we have to suffer and why the good suffer. We always hear that. Why why do the good people suffer and the evil Mm -hmm. ones get to, you know, listen, that's why the majority of the Psalms are laments because suffering is inevitable. So we're either going to suffer with God or we're going to suffer without and I want to suffer with God because he suffered too. He suffered greatly. He knows my pain mm-hmm. and he can get me through it. I just love that. I ex- want us to do the same. I love that expression. I want to suffer with God. Yeah. That's really beautiful. It's so simply oh, stated. You. Yeah. Thank you. Let me say from First Peter chapter 4, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. So, there's Amen. always meaning and purpose, isn't there? As hard as it, as hard as, yeah. it, as it is. And it's not that God causes any of our suffering, but He doesn't waste any of it. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, let's talk about, uh, we just have 
three, three or four minutes left. Talk about some of the twists, twists and turns that you had in your mm-hmm. life. Yes. So I told you I started out my journey with my abuelita taking me to church, yes. but I got in trouble right from day one. Huh. I, I know we only have a few minutes and I can't tell you the whole story, but I'll, I'll leave it with this. I, I, I actually had an experience of hearing God's voice when I, I misunderstood what I was learning about heaven, that we all got to go to heaven. And I went home and I decided I was going to go to heaven that day. Why wait? Why live this life? Why it's so difficult? Why not go to heaven that day? And the Lord stopped me from literally jumping off the roof of my house. Wow. And yes, and uh, by in Spanish, telling me to get down. And so that set me off on a journey of like, oh, wow, God is real. He listens. He's watching. But I didn't tell anyone I was afraid. And so I went on my journey distant from God. And those twists and turns in my life, many of the turns I took were my own mistakes, doing things the wrong way. But then ultimately coming back to the Lord and and believing in Him and trusting Him and surrendering my life to Him. And then to think that God would take someone like me and then lead me to go to seminary and become a pastor and now write a book. And I feel called to write many other books about Him, about the journey of faith, blows my mind. That would be the last thing I would expect because I got here in the most confusing way you could imagine. Um, but, you know, this is the God we serve. And I still have a long journey ahead of me. I, I'm excited that this next decade I get to write more books. Um, so I believe there'll be more twists and turns along the journey. But because I'm walking with the Lord, I know that His purposes will prevail. And maybe on the other side of the journey, I'll look back and see what God was able to accomplish simply by my attempt to be obedient to Him as much as I could be. Not that I'm perfect in any way. But just trying to, uh, I call the book, I, I call us to active surrender, which is like this constant state of moving with God, going where he calls us to go, but surrendering the outcome to him. Mm-hmm. You talk about in your book, Uncharted, that the only thing that is certain is that Christ will be present and nourishing us every step of the way. I think that's Amen. a tremendous encouragement. That's right. Yeah, That's right. He promises you know, the certainty that God promises is very, very um, important to us. He's promising always his, his presence is always with us. Of course, his promises which show his faithfulness, his provision. He promises that we will have purpose and that we will have peace. And those are far better things to put our certainty on than anything that this world offers us. Now, I say that. I know it's not easy to do. I myself have to practice what I'm preaching I am saying it to remind myself, and I think we have to remember, it's one of the biggest commands in the Bible. Remember, remember, remember. God is good to us. Mm-hmm. Say your cool name one more time, from start to Ines Socorro Rivera Padilla Salas Morales de Franklin. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that just makes my day. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a delight to meet you. Likewise. God bless you. You bet. Thank you. Ines Franklin has been my guest. Her book is Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. We'll take a break when we come back. Marshall Siegel, I don't know where he's been hiding, but he's been hiding, I think. Maybe he had another baby. We'll find out. But he is over at DesiringGod.org. We're going to talk about everyday work and how God loves what goes on in our everyday ordinary work. We'll be right back.
I feel like I have a well-rested dad sitting across from me in the studio. And I think uh, we're going to learn exactly that he had his first full night of sleep in eight months. And um, I can't wait to hear the details. Marshall Siegel, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me back, <laughs> Bill. I did sleep for the first time all the way through the night. Eight months. Since we had our third Fantastic. eight months ago. Yeah. And a little boy or girl? A little boy. So we're boy, girl, boy. In awesome. What's, what's his name? Soren is Soren. his name. S O R E N. S O R I N. I N. Beautiful. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you for coming back on the program. It has been a while since I've seen you, and we miss you because every time you come on, you leave a big impression, I tell you. So thank you for, for being back. Well, I've been excited to get back. Yeah. Now, I know we're going to talk today about ordinary work, but you're going to take us on a journey to get there. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about an article, The Pleasure of God and Ordinary Work, and I, I promise I'm going to get back to that. But the the journey for this one started almost a year ago when our the main drain line on our house backed up. I don't know if others listening have had that experience. It's about as awful an experience as you can have as a homeowner. <laughs> but I brought in Larry to help me with my problem. And mm-hmm. Larry was everything you would imagine from somebody who deals with these kinds of issues. And over the course of our interaction, he was very effective at what he did. He told me about his farm just outside of town, and he raises pheasants. And I'd never met somebody that did that. So I had a bunch of questions for him. He showed me pictures. They're really kind of mangly, ugly little birds early on. And, but he was so excited about it. And he was just showing me pictures. It was like a proud grandpa <laughs> telling me about these mm-hmm. birds. And uh, he feeds them watermelon. I remember that. He talked about how much they loved watermelon. So he cleans up his stuff. He heads out. He's, he's driving away. And as I'm watching him, I'm just haunted by this question. Does anything that God has made make me feel like Larry felt about those birds? Ooh. Because I couldn't relate to his love for these birds. Mm-hmm. And as I thought about that question more, it sent me back to Genesis 1, other texts, which made me ask an even harder question is, does anything God has made make me feel like God feels about it all? So through Genesis 1, I get to Psalm 104, and that's what gets us to this article. So Psalm 104 begins, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God, you are very great. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a common refrain in the Bible, especially in the Psalms. And the point here is he's trying to, to bring his heart into accord with reality. He's trying to help say, heart, soul, come on. This God is worthy of worship and adoration. Why are you not feeling that towards him right now? And where does he turn? He, he turns a place I don't turn very often. He turns into creation. He talks about the sun and he talks about mountains. He talks about springs and hills and birds and wild donkeys and trees and grass and sun and moon, beasts and sea creatures. And then he says, verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom have you made them all. So Psalm 104 is doing something different than a lot of other Psalms are doing. Psalm 103, for instance, is celebrating God's grace to us in redemption, what it means for God to save. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities. In Psalm 105, same thing, bless the Lord, O my soul, but he's he's rehearsing what God's done for God's people through 
people Israel through the wilderness and rescuing them and delivering them again and again. But Psalm 104 looks out on the world and sees a thousand reasons to worship. So I'm recovering, as I'm studying Psalm 104, I'm recovering eyes that are lost in a modern world so often to the things that God has made and, and how that's supposed to stir our hearts for God. When we get to verse 31, it says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. So this is the pleasure of God in ordinary work. He, it doesn't just say, let us rejoice in his work. It says, let the Lord <laughs> rejoice in his work. Oh. So God loves lions and birds. God loves mountains and springs. God loves lakes and even snow. So look out the window here. God loves all that. And so I'm trying to bring my heart. I want, I want my heart to be like God's and seeing God and the things that he's made. Well, here's the stunner for me. The most life-changing verse in the passage for me was verse, um, I'm going to get to a 23. I'm going to read 21. The young lion roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. And then the verse I just read, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. How manifold are your works, sun and lions and mountains and an ordinary day of work. Man goes out to the field and to his work, his labor until evening. So the ordinary work of man is one of the manifold works of God. Amazing. (laughs) What a beautiful start. Marshall Siegel is my guest. He is a uh, editor and writer at DesiringGod.org. We're chatting today in your beautiful setup in the pleasure of God in ordinary work. Um, let's talk a little bit about Paul now. He was a guy who fixed tents. Yeah, so once you see that, once you see that God's work, that we can see the, the hand of God in ordinary work, like a man going out in the field, you could feel the ordinariness of that too. It's not a guy in an office with big windows. It's right. not someone writing code. It's mm-hmm. not a legislator writing laws. It says he's going out to his field. Just a man in his hands. How glorious are God's works. Well, when you see that, then it, it can help you, th- or at least where my mind went, is some of the giants of the faith did some really ordinary work. So you mentioned... The Apostle Paul, Paul, we know he's a tent maker. So he spent a fair amount of his life, enough that he was able to make enough money to make ends meet, tying knots, mending holes. I say in the article, I mean, some people probably knew Paul as a tent maker. That's who they thought he was. Mm-hmm. They had no idea that he <laughs> had this ministry. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that fixed my tent. Right. Or Peter, uh, fishing. How you know we see how much he, how much of his life he spent fishing. I mean, even after the resurrection, Jesus, where did Jesus go looking for him? He went looking for a boat because he knew he'd be fishing. So he was acquainted with the smell of fish and long days with no catch, and and then even Jesus himself, on a much higher level, spent thirty years of his life as a carpenter's son. 
And he was so devoted to that ordinary work that when, when he came back to teach, to share the gospel, to teach about the kingdom, they said, who is this? Isn't this the carpenter's son? They were so used to seeing him with hammers and nails that they couldn't even conceive of him being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. For decades. So when you look at that, it can just begin to put our ordinary work in a whole different light. And I, I know, listening, there's so many people that are in the kind of work that feels utterly ordinary, forgettable, maybe meaningless. And I think what I want to try to recover from passages like these is that work done well for the Lord, even very ordinary work, is tinged with the glory of God. Mm. As long as you treat your job as an act of worship to the Lord, I think that's will make your work a beautiful day. And you can really, you can bring dignity to any job, right? Absolutely. And, and I think part of what we're supposed to see in Genesis 1 and in Psalm 104 is that, that this creating creature, this working creature, man, is the crown. I mean, God says, good to night and day, good to the birds, good to the animals. But then when man and woman, woman come, very good. Same kind of thing here in Psalm 104, I think. We're building, 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 and then all of a sudden, it's the one that's like God, the creating creature, the worker, the man. And so, yeah, I think for whatever whatever kind of work you do, only God could conceive of a creature that can do what you can do. Rock badgers can't do that. Wild donkeys can't do that. Birds can't do that. Mm. But you can yeah, well, we just had a wild donkey in here trying to get my job, and fortunately, he was ushered out. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just saying, I mean, I'm kind of maybe nervous, because when I saw there's a wild donkey talking to the program director, I got a little... T- I can I assure a, you, a, a wild tense. donkey cannot do what you do <laughs> Well, thank you, Marshall, for saying that. All right, let's talk more about God's pleasure in your work. Uh, I just find this to be such an important topic, because there are so many people that consider what they do uh, something that creates a sense of emptiness with them. Why, why am I doing this? Is there something greater I should be doing? And God sees great pleasure in the work you have before you that he gives you. Yeah. So if we want to go to another passage to try to think about, think more carefully about, well, what would it look like? So, um, and I do want to say in one sense, every working person, every, every person doing every ordinary job is glorifying God regardless of whether the, what they think about God or their work. I mean, that's, that's the psalmist is just looking at a man in a field. We don't know what he thinks about right. God. We, he's not doing it unto the Lord necessarily. And so there's a way for us in our everyday lives as we interact with people in various jobs, grocery store, gas station, library, um, to begin to see those people differently, to see those people the way that the psalm, psalmist would have seen them in Psalm 104 and be able to see their work and say, isn't God amazing? And, and wouldn't that affect how we interact with all those people? I mean, they're made in the image of God. We, we um, give them a certain dignity and value just based on that. But we actually get to watch and see the things that they can do with their eyes and their minds and their hands and their feet and their shoulders. All of that is testifying to the glory of God. So there's, there's a piece of just being able to appreciate God's glory in any kind of work. But then all the more, we find, we find especially in the New Testament, 
um, texts like Colossians, uh, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Mm. So I think beyond just the the beauty, the glory of any kind of work, however ordinary, there's a particular kind of beauty for work that's done unto the Lord, not unto man. And so I think that's one of the pitfalls that Christians can fall into in our workplaces is that we subtly or, or overtly fall into a mindset of just doing this to please whoever we work for, or mm-hmm. to please whoever's watching us, or to be able to say we got a promotion or that we're paid this amount of money or Whatever the temptations are that encroach to make this about me or about people or about my reputation, and Paul in Colossians is is uh, drawing a picture of a very different kind of work, a work that's not done so that it, for approval or praise or recognition, but a kind of work that's done hard, work heartily as to the Lord, as if the Lord was your boss. Work heartily. Mm-hmm. Don't work as a people pleaser, but work as a Lord pleaser, a God pleaser. And he says, if you do, just like if we pray in secret, just like if we give in secret, Matthew 6, uh, if we work in this way, we'll have our reward. Mainly him and the pleasure of God, the well done, good and faithful servant, whatever work we've done. Um, So there's a joy in that kind of work. Mm. Marshall Siegel, you're teaching like a man who's just had a full night sleep after eight months. So we're going to take a break and continue discussing with Marshall Siegel about work. So glad to have him back on the show. He's a writer and managing editor at DesiringGod.org. As a matter of fact, what we're talking about today is right up there at the website at DesiringGod.org. You can go get it right now if you like. During the break, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LeBurge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine. Search Mornings with Carmen LeBurge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. Speaking of Workday, this is just a terrific day. It's a, it's an amazing Tuesday to have uh, Marshall Siegel here with me. And I just had a lovely conversation with Inez Franklin, and I want you to hear one more time a conversation I had with uh, Stephen Bargetzi. He was amazing. And then Dr. Greg Heddington is coming up as well. We're starting a brand new study uh, tonight on the book of Daniel. So... I love today, and I'm so glad that you could join me. And as I am at work, and Marshall's working by coming here into the studio and talking about the pleasures of uh, pleasure of God in ordinary work, uh, Marshall, maybe you could talk about you know the the thought people have: Am I in the right job? Is this where God has me? Am I am, am I doing the work that God wants me to do? People get confused. They ask all kinds of questions. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, that, that's a great question, and it's it's really relevant to this topic because you're not. It's going to be hard for you to feel the joy of the Lord in the work that you have if you're unsure, if you feel uncertain about whether this is the job that God wants you to be in. If you go to work every day, kind of in the back of your head, wondering, should I be doing something else? And it's easier today than it was in the past to move from one job to the other. So I think people are, are more prone to think in terms of, oh, this might be time for me to, to get up and move. One of the texts that's really helpful for me in thinking through those kinds of questions, finding contentment and purpose, uh, big God-sized purpose in the places where God has me right now is Acts 17. This is Paul preaching. The verses will be familiar. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. So we got a big as possible vision of God. Made everything. He's from the beginning all the way through the end. Made the world, everything in it. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. It's a helpful perspective for work. God doesn't need our work. He doesn't need anything. So the fact that we do work isn't meeting a need in God, but it is helping to display who God is, including the fact that he doesn't have any needs. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. And then here's the key phrase having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That's just a really complicated way of saying when and where they live. Mm. And I would say work. The allotted periods, when, and boundaries, where, of their dwelling place. Why? Verse 27. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he's actually not far from each one of us. I think that's a wonderful way to think about the job that you're in right now. Not to say that God might not call you away from this job, but for the moment, assuming he hasn't called you away from the job, assuming that this is the job for you, even if it's hard, and even if sometimes you kind of long for a different job. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that Paul, some days, mending nets, felt that way. I'm sure Peter, on the boat with no fish in the net, felt Mm. that way. Um, Jesus, probably not. (laughs) <laughs> right. I don't know how that worked for yeah, him. I don't he didn't sin. Yeah, right. Maybe he looked longingly at some of the other jobs around town. But I think it's really helpful to think God has put me here. He's determined the allotted period and the boundary of my dwelling place for what purpose that I should seek God. And if I seek him, he says, I'll find out that he's not far. Mm, that's fantastic. So I think in places, where, whether it's where you live or where you work or, or, or maybe the church that you're in, if, if it's hard to stay in the church that you're in right now, one way to see it is to see God has put me here this particular time in this particular place so that I could seek God. And, and I'll find if I seek him, if I really go after him, he's going to be close. He's going to be close by. So that's just assuming that he doesn't call you. If, if you sense that he might be calling you away from the job, in my experience, there's three really helpful tests of those kinds of questions. One, do you want to do something different? Two, do the people in your life say, yeah, I think you should do something different. I think you have your gifts, your, your experience, it would be better stewarded, used, deployed somewhere else. And then three, does God open a door for you to work somewhere else? If those three things happen, I think the Lord bless you on, mm. on a change 
in your work. And I think you could go glorify the Lord in another occupation. I think of, of Peter living at the house of Simon the Tanner. All right. That's, you know, on a perch on a high cliff overlooking the sea because, you know, he's close to the seaport because of the pelts that are coming in. Let's just be honest. There's going to be some stink in that department, right? I'm not saying this is a dream job, Marshall, <laughs> you know? But in the process of that, this incredible revelation that from the Lord, that salvation was open uh, for the Gentiles when uh, he was on the roof of Simon the Tanner's home. Yeah. And Peter and, saw something like a sheet lowered down from the sky. Right. Yeah. And and there, it's not hard to see that there's a, in some ways a greater glory in that kind of work than in work that's more comfortable. Right. Uh, maybe more desirable for whatever reason. If you're in a job like Larry clearing my drain, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. After he left my house, he went to clear another drain. He's walking into house after house with water, very dirty water in basements. Larry knows what he's doing, though. But he knows what he's doing. And there is something about that, especially if it's done with a heart for the Lord, that shines so bright. I mean, it just stands out from all the grumbling. I think of Philippians 2 when Paul prays for the Philippians, that they would uh, do all things without grumbling, that, that you might shine in the darkness of this generation. What shines? It's doing your work without grumbling. It's loving your family without grumbling. It's caring for your neighbors without grumbling. And so I think one thing, one major thing that sets Christian work apart from every other kind of work is because we can do it with joy, because our joy is in the Lord. He's our reward. All right, Marshall Siegel, now coach us on how not to grumble. <laughs> well, I just, uh, it's funny that you say that. This is not related to work, but it's just coming out of this morning. Uh, Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. That's an entire guide on how not to grumble. But he had a picture there that I'll never forget. Uh, he draws it from Luther, and he says, For any affliction that you have, there is a sea of mercies to swallow it up. Mm, I like that. And so Burroughs says, take any affliction in your life and it is a bucket, a pail of water poured out on the floor in your kitchen. But if you poured that same bucket into the ocean, it would be as nothing Mm. by comparison. So as I thought about that today, I thought, man, just I'm so focused every day on the bucket of water in my or the bowl of cereal. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> a bowl of cereal gets poured out by my two-year-old. Mm-hmm. But if I could see that bucket, if I could pour that bucket in the ocean and see it in the ocean of what I have in Christ, of who God is for me and his mercy, I would think about those trials differently or the, the things that I'm tempted to grumble about. I would think about them differently. Yeah. Beautiful picture. That's a great picture for us to walk away with today is that ocean of mercy is to take our little spill, and instead of focusing on it on the kitchen floor, we see it going into the ocean of mercy and grace. Yeah, so find your way to be by the ocean. Go, go find your way every day that you want to see something big, see, see God in his glory so that you can remember his glory, who he is for you compared to what you're struggling with mm-hmm. today. Well, I know there's people in their car driving home from probably a hard day at work where they had... Some problems that aren't going away and relationships at work that are challenging 
and there's people frustrated and thinking, I got to find another job. And I think this has been a real encouragement. Marshall. It has been for me. So thank you. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah. I want to have you back because there are a couple of other articles I saw at desiringgod.org. I want to talk about one was about suffering and one is uh, about friendship. And I think those are two great topics, topics I like and I would like to talk about. That's great. Have me back. I will indeed. Marshall Siegel has been my guest. You can uh, learn more about him at desiringgod.org. And you can uh, see the article that we're just talking about today, about the pleasures of ordinary work. Marshall Siegel has been my guest. We are going to take a little break. And then when we come back, there's going to be a conversation I had with Stephen Bargetsy, who I just thought was so wonderful, charming, and he's a guy that's close to my uh, my heart. So I'm going to let you hear that again. It's so amazing. And then after that, Dr. Greg Heddington is going to come back, and we're going to talk about a brand new study in the book of Daniel. I don't know how long that'll take us to get through, but I hope I hope a while because it's a great it's a great book and a great study. So we will be back in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.